RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. Oh, good. It's time to start. So my name is Lindsay Slocum, and I am here with Dan Christ. I'm very excited because um, I don't think I've had the opportunity to interview you yet. So I'm looking forward to this. Dan preached a fantastic sermon yesterday on the Belhar Confessions. We um, And he actually wrapped up our sermon series. We've been working our way through uh, several of the confessions and the Book of Confessions for the Presbyterian Church of the United States of America for our denomination. Um, and yesterday you did the Belhar, which I'm really excited to talk more about because the Belhar has been our most recently added confession to the book of confessions. And so we, that's not one that we've done years and years of talking right. about. So it was really good to, to talk about that yesterday, but I guess we probably do need to start with the really important stuff at several of the services you made a really bold statement at the very end that uh, you highlighted that the Braves are in the playoffs. That's very exciting. And then you put on a Phillies hat. So that was right here like this. That's <laughs> what I did. That was very brave of you. Last year. I mean, the Phillies weren't in it. And I was, I was like, all right, let's go Braves. I got this, but this is a whole different ball game now. Because What's your connection to the Phillies? So I, again, my dad grew up in the city of Philadelphia. So I kind of grew, even though I grew up in Southern California. And then when we, we moved back, I went to high school and then college outside of Philly. So, I mean, those teams have always been my team. Eagles, um, Phillies, Flyers. Very yeah. nice. So Okay. So well, I haven't just jumped on some kind of recent bandwagon because there's not a big bandwagon for the Phillies, let's be honest. I was going to say, <laughs> I don't think anyone was accusing you of that. No, it's not like Alabama fans, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to for Alabama. No, it's not like that. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, you had a, a Alabama statement yesterday in the sermon, too. So uh, Yeah, a little bit. That, only, that was really just for Randy Jackson. Oh, I see. I see. <laughs> I knew he was going to be there. I was like, well, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Well, and you know, it's just the season for the house divided. So that, that was a really good example, by the way, because I think there are several of us that are trying to figure out if our marriage is going to survive the football right. season. So, <laughs> so that was good. Understand. Yeah. That yeah. was one of the requirements for Cindy and I getting together. I was like, okay, your athletic teams. Okay. We're good then. <laughs> there's no this, sense in being in battle every saturday morning right this this is, is there's no point this is true yeah well it's i mean if we're gonna like 
you know, call out teams. I do want to make sure to highlight for all of you who like me, who have grown up holding our breath for big Gamecock victories and never seeming to get one. We finally had a really good weekend this year or this past weekend. So we'll take it. We'll take it. I mean, you know, yeah, that's fair. Did you see the comment that Terry just posted from Tracy in the in the chat? Tracy says we call them stinking fillies at her house. <laughs> Shots fired. There is disunity with... amongst the staff. <laughs> I'm sure she means that with all the love and tenderness and care. <laughs> oh, the stinking fillies. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Well, okay, so let's talk about unity then. Well, <laughs> As we have demonstrated so well here. Um, actually, uh, before we, I actually have a lot of questions about unity, and I'm I'm really excited to talk through some of these because I actually think the concept of unity is really complicated and difficult. Um, but I, I, you did such a really fantastic job of giving us historical context of the confession. I think that that's so important when we're looking at these confessions of figuring out what's going on historically. And, but one of the things you've highlighted, and I hadn't thought about this before. Okay, so this uh, confession is written in the 80s, you said, is that correct? Yes, 1986. Okay, and at the same time, uh, over in our neck of the woods, we are writing the brief statement of faith which total side note, I, I'm very bummed that we're not doing um, a sermon on the brief statement of faith because that was one that Randy Jackson was on the committee that wrote it. I feel like we have like connections to it. Yeah, do, it's right? also, yeah. And it's the first time that we stated really clearly that women were called to ministry. And so anyway, I, I think it's a really important one and I would love for us to spend some time talking about it. But um, as you highlighted for us yesterday, that one's being written in the 80s as the uh, what we call re reunification of our denomination is happening. Mm -hmm. That one gets put in the Book of Confessions pretty much immediately. Belhar did not get put into the Book of Confessions until 2016, wow. which also, fun side note, uh, I was at that General Assembly. I was one of the commissioners that voted on that at 2016. And second fun note so was one randy jackson that was before we uh he was on staff here but i knew him because of betsy but anyway i guess my question is what what took so long why is this not included until 2016 in the book of confessions do you even know i don't know i didn't know, if I that's know again i i i wasn't involved in the presbyterian church in that way at that time but i do know a couple of things one so was written in 1986 and then eventually adopted by the Reformed Church in South Africa. And they continue to work towards unity, which again, didn't happen until like the nineties. Like they had this statement, like this separation is wrong. And it was a long time before this confession actually worked this stuff out. And if, if we're honest, I was there a few years ago in Cape Town, you know, there's still, even though there's this statement of unity if you go to worship services, they're, it's not like it's multi-ethnic at all. Mm. So it's still very separate, but there's an, an agreement now that what was the history that we have and the, the use of scripture and, and this theology that allowed for or even endorsed separation was incorrect. So there's mm -hmm. at least that much. So 
there's this, and again, like I think I mentioned yesterday, people, and it was then, once it was accepted by that church, it was kind of open and they allowed it, they kind of sent it out to reformed churches around the world and said, you know, this statement might not be just about South Africa. Mm-hmm. And I think our denomination, the PCUSA, just took a while to come to grips with that. There were some that picked it up in the in the late 80s, early 90s, and then ongoing. It was actually presented to the PCOSA, I think, in 2001 or 2002 as something, but it took, I mean, we don't have General Assembly every year. That's part of it. But then, I mean, it took 15 years. And I honestly think some of that is because we're like, well, you know, we don't have a problem with this. We've already dealt mm-hmm. with it. And I, you know, and so what, one of the things I tried to point out yesterday was, okay, that may be the case, but understand that, that it was theology and it was use of scripture that actually endorses the need for this to begin with. And so I think, I think there was some kind of thinking in our denomination and other reformed denominations around the world, like, well, we know South Africa had a problem. We're okay. We've worked through all this stuff. And then it was a while for us to acknowledge that you know, actually, this does apply. Matter of fact, it still applies. It's still relevant even today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that just brought up like, so. yes, yes, thank you. And now I have like several questions. One of the things you said was, uh, because I was just thinking about, you're right, they, it went to General Assembly several times before it yeah. got approved. Um, and you were saying that part of, part of your thought behind that is that some people were thinking, We've dealt with it. And so I guess my question for you is, do you feel like we've dealt with it? We as in a denomination? Well, I guess we as in however you want to interpret we. (laughs) Again, I think the reason, if we look at all the confessions that we've worked through over the past several years, I mean, we're no longer in the Reformation era, right? That was... 500 years ago. And yet, as Jeff highlighted, and we read some of those, we recognize that a lot of those same thoughts and issues are still with us. Mm -hmm. So it's not as if, oh, that's, that's done. And we're over with on to the next thing. These are ongoing kind of issues for the church have been from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so no, we're not done with it. No, there are still, again, I think, uh, you know, I tried to kind of highlight the fact that even though RPC was on the wrong side of history, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. We might have moved past that now, and it might not have been our ancestors. We might not have been in the South or anything, had anything to do with it. That's not relevant either. Our bias or our bent is still for our own gain, for our own personal satisfaction, you know, and often at the expense of others. We are not easily freed. That's what I said yesterday. We're not easily freed from our own selfishness and our own bigotry. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we're caught up in that, are able to to use scripture in convoluted ways to support that. And so I think that's why this this confession, along with all the other confessions that remain a part of our book of confessions, some of them thousands of years old, mm-hmm. are still relevant. Yeah, and when you said that yesterday, when you said, let's be really honest, RPC was on the wrong side of history, I was like, preach, because I, I that's such a hard truth to say and it's a hard truth to hear and a hard truth to acknowledge um but gracious that's that's what we're trying to do every sunday when we're doing these the prayers of confession and when we have this whole book of confessions is trying to acknowledge the hard truths and so i was 
I, I was not, I'm not going to say I was glad you said it. That's not a sense to be glad about, but I, I appreciated it. Um, and was grateful for your willingness to say things that are hard to say, because it needs to be said and we need to think about, okay, if we as a congregation, whether we were members here or not, if this congregation was on the wrong side of history, then what's the, what does that mean for, for us now? And as we think about who we are, who we want to be and how we're moving forward, what does that mean? And we might not have been a member then, but we're members now. And so what does it look like for us to speak to that hard truth? Right. I was scared to death, to tell you the truth, to say that, particularly in that first service, you know, which is in the historic sure. sanctuary. Sure. <laughs> that was a lot. And, you know, you're right, but it is what we have to deal with now. My, I don't know how many people read or whatever, but look at the mission blog with the most recent mission blogs. It's called This Old House. And I'd encourage you to look at that. Because Cindy and I have just moved into a house that was built in 1978. We didn't cause the problems that we're living with, right? You know, all the issues that we're you either deal with them or sweep them under the carpet. So it's kind of, this is the house in which we live now. We have to confront what's here now, even if, you know, we weren't the ones that put the ugly wallpaper up or, you know, installed the plumbing incorrectly or whatever. Those same things are true you know, in, in society, we might not have been the ones that caused whatever, I, you know, my family wasn't in the nation when slavery existed. And I'd like to, you know, think a lot, you know, I can absolve myself from all that, but I, I can't, you know, because mm -hmm. I live in this context now and see the repercussions of all that. So sure. I've got to deal with what's in front of me now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and you did such a really good job too, of, of reminding us that that, that the confessions, part of what we're learning from that is we are still broken. Well, just what you're saying, and we're not easily freed, that we are still a broken people. And that's that's why this reconciliation in Christ is so important. That's why the unity that um, that we, we were reading about in Ephesians that you were reading to us, like that, that's why that's so important yeah. and why we're constantly relying on it as we're working our way through too. Yeah. Yeah, that was so good. That was so good. Okay. So, so, okay. So let's dig on that a little bit more because the other thing that you said, and I was like, holy cow, I started thinking about, so you were talking about the apartheid and you were talking, you walked through how that was essentially, and so correct me if I'm exaggerating with my words, but essentially it was set up by the church. That's a little strong. Okay. It wasn't established by the church, but the, the idea of separation was in the in the 1880s, again, the Reformed Church of South Africa got together and said, we are going to establish separate denominations, a denomination for white people, the pure people, and a, a denomination separate with their own leadership and everything for blacks and people of color. And they had used, again, biblical interpretation and, and misguided theology and all kinds of stuff to allow for that, to condone for that. And when they had got that far and said, well, this works for church, now we have this theological and, and uh, this underpinning for, well, separation works. This is how God's ordained life. And so people took that and said, well, it applies to all aspects of life. And again, much, you know, it's hard for us to kind of be back there at that time. But, you know, South Africa, as much as really the United States considers itself a Christian nation. I mean, they're very faithful people. They continue to be, you know, a very highly church even now. And so, you know, when the church endorsed and, and affirmed separation, you know, the people in government were like, well, heck yeah, 
that's how it's supposed to be. And so they just picked that up and ran with it and they had church endorsement for it. So it wasn't that the, the people in the church specifically said, okay, we're going to set up a system of government, but the fact that they'd gone through that and processed that allowed it to happen and encouraged it. And the church never balked. They just said, well, of course, instead of saying, hey, this is wrong, you know, now they had full church endorsement of it. Does that make sense? Okay. Endorsement. Yeah, that's a better word. We'll use endorsement. I, it just led me to think through lots of things that the church has endorsed through the years that haven't been particularly helpful. And we can go back to things like the Crusades. We can go back to the treatment of Native Americans. You know, I grew up in a small town outside of South of Columbia, South Carolina, and there's this barbecue restaurant there. It's delicious. It's delicious because they know how to do barbecue correctly. And just in case you're wondering, correctly is mustard base. Okay. South Carolina. <laughs> There you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. So um, I mean, that might be my version of the Philly pack for today. But anyway, it, um, it is delicious. However, at one point they have all these, they had these like pamphlets and flyers that they put everywhere explaining how the Bible justifies, like they were using scripture to justify slavery. And this, by the way, I'm in high school in the 90s, not in the whatever. I mean, it, yeah. Are you serious? Yes, it was terrible. And so then like grocery stores are pulling the barbecues off, off the shelves, whatever, but all the things, it was rough. But my point is the, the church has either endorsed or allowed, or even maybe been the cause for a lot of really awful things that have happened. Um, and so when you were talking about apartheid and you, you even talked about the theology behind Jim Crow laws, I, I, I guess my question is, why? Why can you just can you summarize real quickly why this is happening? Or, but but why when when I feel like scripture is so clear about things like unity and caring for people, how is it that the church, when we look back over our history, that that we've got this really, we've got some some stains on our our history that yeah. are pretty rough. Yeah. Well, I you know I think it has it's like it is with anything else, right? We tend to be very myopic about. Are, are thinking about things right and so yeah we believe in unity but we believe in unity on my terms and scripture you know is to be read and interpreted based on my view and my filter and my understanding of things and so as long as everybody kind of toes the line and does that everything's fine and I think mm -hmm. that, that, that's allowed for all sorts of heresy and 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 you know what we look now view as injustice you know we we can look at apartheid we can look at slavery from this perspective and think you know that's that you know obviously ungodly mm -hmm. but i dare say and i you know this is this is again a very difficult pill to swallow i really think that had Lindsay and dan been in georgia in the 1850s i i highly doubt we would have had any issue with it not because it wasn't wrong but because we would just have, you know, been co-opted into thinking, well, of course, right? Mm -hmm. Just because it's it suited us and it was comfortable and it made sense in our world at that time. And so that's why, you know, when we talk about, you see all this cancel culture and, you know, we got to eliminate all the, the presidents that, you know, own slavery and we can't talk about all these people. Like, had you been there, you'd have been doing the same thing. You know, we can't. You know, not as if we sh shouldn't use them and look at them and say, man, they, they really got some things wrong. But 
don't look at yourself as being clean and pure. And had you been there, you would have been this, you know, great light and beacon of hope and justice in that time. You wouldn't have been. Mm -hmm. Totally unlucky. Mm -hmm. There was there were so few. And so mm -hmm. I think that's that tends to be why, you know, we have these dark stains in in our history. It's not just Christian history, it's all of history. Mm. So Christianity was just part of that, you know, and, and, you know, the message of God continued, you know, the, the unification that's meant to be demonstrated and displayed in the church and in the family of God was always very clear, right? And there were, all, there were consistently voices that kind of said, you know, this isn't right. What we're doing is wrong. There were people that argued against the Crusades. There were people, you know, it was in, in England, it was, you know, they banished slavery long before the United States did and all that kind of stuff, because there were voices, Christian voices who said, these are people, this is wrong, yeah. right? But they were just denied or not listened to or ignored or written off as, well, you're just not reading scripture properly, or your theology is all wrong. And this is the right way to think of things. It's just, it's just, our, again, we're not easily freed from bigotry and selfishness, even in the face of what seems to be us from this perspective, very clear biblical kind of, you know, examples and biblical commands to like love one another. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for slavery, for uh, what happened to the Aboriginal people in Australia, love one another was discounted because the other, in this case, the Aboriginals of, of Australia or the Africans that came to the United States were seen as less than. Mm -hmm. They're not fully human, so we don't have to worry about them. Yeah, I'll love other people, but they're not people. They're subhuman. Mm -hmm. They're you know a step above animals. That's what they, like, believe it or not, that was a theology that was used to justify that. It's staggering right. where we stand now. But, I, you know, I, I often also think, you know, what we're doing now, the things that we're doing now, and we're living and we're saying, you know, we're being really faithful and we're being godly and we're seeking justice and reconciliation and all that kind of stuff. A hundred years from now, how are people going to look at our era and think, oh my goodness, what were they thinking? It'll be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know what those issues are, but I know they'll be there. Absolutely. Uh, well, and and you did a really lovely job of highlighting this yesterday too, but that again, that's what, what's so important then about the scripture and what the the confession is pulling out is that because this is always going to be our tendency is to to move toward that which suits our own selves and um and and feeds ourselves that we're we're going to constantly find ourselves in this place of brokenness, but that God has transformed relationships, that God has been about reconciliation. And, and two, as you were talking, and I was just thinking about, gosh, really, Christians continue to mess things up over and over again. I was thinking about, too, even kind of the arc of the narrative when we go to scripture and we look at the, the people of faith, right, in scripture, the Hebrew people all through the Old Testament, they're like, nope, I'm going to build a cow real quick, because that seems to suit the need that I have. So over and over again, we've got these faithful prophets or uh, whoever that's calling, that, that's calling the people of God back to God, because that's another stain, like, there's another, there's another mess up. And so we're, we're called to be really faithful. But the good news is that God actually is really faithful. Yeah, absolutely. In spite of all that, look at at God's kind of patience with the people of Israel. Mm -hmm. Staggering. Like, mm -hmm. you know, thank, I mean, that's a, a 
tremendous example for us. Like, man, they blew it time and time and time again. And yet God's commitment to that nation, the fact that we even, that the, the people of Israel still exist when the rest of the other ancient Near East peoples, they're gone. This mm -hmm. tiny little tribe somehow survived. Why is that? Because God made an oath. God made a commitment. And God never breaks commitments. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So this is the question I really want to ask is uh -oh. I want to, I know, well, I want to talk about <laughs> unity and then I got so excited about the other things we were talking about, but this, the whole concept of unity, I think is super complicated and actually quite difficult. Um, okay. So in the confession, one of the parts that we read it talks about how important unity is and it um it's a gift and an obligation so good and oh and i thought this part was so good um it's a reality which must be earnestly pursued and sought so good that's like that is our that's who right. we're called to be okay but then we read this line accordingly anything which threatens this unity may have no place in the church and must be resisted and this is the part that i am now getting tripped up and having a really hard time because how, I think that essentially my question is going to be, how do we know? Because even in that example that you used, which was so powerful with Nelson Mandela, so powerful. But the fact of the matter is that rugby team was the example of something yes. that threatened unity. And, yeah. and so honestly, should have been resisted. And quite frankly, if i have been up to me, if I was Nelson Mandela, I would have resisted it. Absolutely. And yet that's not what he did. And and what he did ended up being helpful, of course. But I, I guess what I'm saying is how 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 can we know? It's so hard to know because unity doesn't mean we all agree on all the things. We're yeah. not going to agree, but somehow we need to function in a way that is faithful. And there's some really practical things that need to happen there are times we don't agree on things but we've got to decide if we're going to go this way or that way so it's i don't know <laughs> speak some wisdom into me then like how are we going to figure out what it looks like to to do unity and to do it well so i, I mean that's a fantastic question and obviously really deep but if we go back to mandela's example so again, for those who didn't hear the story, basically the South African national rugby team was a, 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 an embodiment, a representation of apartheid and separation and racism. And so when the ANC and Nelson Mandela become president, everyone assumes that the funding's gonna be pulled from that, that that national rugby team, its colors will be changed, the name, the spring box will be changed and all that kind of stuff. We might still have a national rugby team, but we're gonna transform that along with all the other transformation that's occurring in our nation to really become the rainbow nation because it had been exclusive and we wanna be inclusive. And Mandela said, no, that's not what's gonna happen. One, that's what the minority, which had this stage was the white people who had been power expect to happen and I want to surprise them and two you know I feel that because of what this has represented and because of their and that for the South Africans like their great ability in rugby and all that kind of stuff that they could be a way to unify and so against like I said yesterday in the sermon against the best wishes of 
those in his party, like everyone fought against him. If you want to, so a great story. If you haven't seen it, I promise you it's better than the second Wonder Woman. Go watch Invictus. So Invictus okay. is the story of the 1995 Rugby World Cup. The bad thing about that is they portray the New Zealand rugby team as these animals, which really annoys me because that's my team, obviously. But it tells the story of Mandela becoming president and then his relationship. He actually develops a relationship with the rugby captain, Francois Pennyard who again was was an Afrikaans who had had very little relation with uh, people of color except those that served in his house all that kind of stuff and yet Mandela develops this relationship it's a powerful story and it's really great and it kind of demonstrates this whole thing so when we're talking about unity in in some ways you know after Mandela said no this is what we're doing and and the his leadership his uh, party leaders and that kind of began to see what was happening they got in line. They just said, we can accept this. We don't agree with it. We would have done it completely differently. But in this instance, we're going to go. And obviously he was correct because again, his heart was right. He wasn't seeking vengeance or retribution or all that kind of stuff. He was seeking restoration. So when we think about unity and we have disagreements, you know, if, if, if in, in the, in the staff or in a family, we have disagreements, Sometimes those of us under authority need to just say, okay, I've expressed my opinion. I've communicated as clear as I can what I think should happen. Recognize that we have to make a decision here and to be unified, I'm gonna support what they do. I believe that they have you know, my best interest, the best interest of this community. Um, I believe that they, you know, they might be interpreting scripture or theology differently than me, but I don't think it's heretical or all those kind of things we can do this. I, I can support this. And that's what ended up happening in the leadership in South Africa. And I think mm -hmm. that's the best example for the church. You see that again, you see that in the New Testament, right? We see that in the New Testament consistently. It, it amazes me that we have a church at all, not RPC. But if you look, you read right. the New Testament and all the letters that Paul's writing, would you stop arguing about this, about circumcision and uncircumcision and whether you're allowed to eat meat and not? The church has yeah. been arguing with itself from day one, right? But yet here we are, you know, we have, we have a church body and we recognize that this is the community. This is a place where we work out our faith, being open and honest with one another. And that's why, you know, uh, I mentioned yesterday, you know, that Paul recognized that separation and disunity causes impoverishment for everybody. Now, I want a community here at RPC and in churches all over the place. I'm, I'm really big on a multi-ethnic community. We don't really have that here at RPC. And the reason I'm big on it is not just so I can feel good about myself that, oh, I'll, clearly I'm not racist because there's people of color here, because their life experience and their experience with God is completely different. And if I get to know them and hear those voices, it will transform my own. You know, we need to have people from different uh, faith backgrounds. We need to have different, you know, denominational backgrounds, political ideologies. I hope there's some ardent Republicans here and some ardent Democrats and they can listen to one another, right? Because neither mm -hmm. of them are right. Neither mm -hmm. of them are more godly than the other if they're pursuing God mm -hmm. the way they should be. And so I think that's where unity comes. And so, you know, at you as the executive pastor, you know, there might be times that you and I disagree. We have. And I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. I hear you. I, I, I've expressed what I believe but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abide by what you think because God has put you in authority in this, this context. And that, 
I think that provides unity. And I think we, you and I, and at least the pastors have seemed to demonstrate that really well. And that, mm. I think that's an example for the church. Well, I, and I, I'm so, I hadn't thought about it this way. And I really appreciate you putting that word restoration in there, because I think you're right. Like when we're, when the goal is toward restoration, that's different than the goal being toward being correct or being, or whatever. And so I, do, I think that makes such a difference and it adds, that's really helpful. That's really wise, Dan. Thanks for saying that. I like it. Well, good. <laughs> um, I will say we got a, a quick note from Debbie Houghton, uh, which I, th- I think that she, I, I think her words are bigger than just this example, but I will say that she says, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. So I'll give Dan the liberty to be wrong and be charitable with a lot of pity about his baseball choice. (laughs) Go balls. But I do think, I do like that though, too, in essentials, unity and non-essentials, liberty and all things charity. I think that's really, really beautifully said. She could have just saved us 30 minutes if she had sent us that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I really appreciate this conversation, Dan, and, um, and all the work with them and faithfulness that you put into your message and, and then into this conversation. It, this, it's such a good confession. And, um, and if people who are listening have not read it, go Google the confession of Belhar and um, spend some time with it because it's, it's just really beautiful and yeah. has a lot of really good of stuff. Of all the it. confessions in our book of confessions, because it's the most recent, it's probably the easiest one to read and comprehend it. True. <laughs> That's true. And it's, and it's true. so, again, it's so poignant. It's so applicable to our context right now. Yes, which was another one. I mean, I still have like a thousand more questions, but um, I think our time is up to have a private conversation mm, later. <laughs> we can. We can. Um, next week, Jeff is back in the pulpit. We're going to start uh, our family meeting series where we're going to talk about and we're not talking about your individual families, but we're talking about who we are as a church family and um, and what it looks like for us to do ministry as the Roswell Presbyterian Church. So we are looking forward to that. And um, I'm a I'm pretty He's sure someone on will... it's wonderful life next week, right? Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like what happens if you didn't exist or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So we're uh and I'm I might no, I'm not interviewing him next week. I don't know who's interviewing him next week. So we'll see. Probably. Maybe it's you. Not me. It's not me. Oh. Away. <laughs> Must be Carrie. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you, Lindsay. Bye, y'all.